Some of you may be thinking that that was the shortest Christmas pageant you have ever seen. But in fact, you have only had just a sneak preview of our pageant yet to come next Sunday evening. It's gonna be a different kind of pageant, right? Because of this crazy world and to keep everybody safe and healthy, we're not going to be massing our kids up here on the front of the steps of the sanctuary. Instead, next week at six o'clock, uh, excuse me, three o'clock, uh, Becky Pritchard tells me, we are going to be having our Christmas pageant out in our parking lot in a drive-through fashion so that you can be right there in the middle of the action. The kids are going to be there. They are ready. Their leaders are there. And I think it is going to be one of the great, uh, great Christmas pageant experiences that we ever have. And so let's just, I know that they're right outside. Let's just give them a, a let's just thank them one more time. I'm just so excited about the pageant this year because it is going to be fun. It's going to be different. And as we think about the Christmas pageant, let's go back to the actual event that we celebrate in the Christmas pageant by looking at the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, beginning in the first verse. Our scripture reading is Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Here's what Luke tells us. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in a swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Let us pray. O Lord, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening, and may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. For it is in the name of your Son, our precious Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and by the power of the Holy Spirit that we pray, amen. You know what? I love the Christmas pageant. I know that it's a lot of work. I know that it's a lot of fun, and I know that it's precious. You know what? It's even goofy sometimes. Sometimes the best Christmas pageants are the ones with a long blooper reel, right? The ones where things don't go exactly according to plan. But one of the things I love most about the Christmas pageant is that I think it is important. You know what? Each year I tell the children that the Christmas pageant is important because sometimes the pageant is the first and only time people ever hear the real story of Christmas. They're watching lots of movies, they're watching lots of TV specials, they're watching lots of things on TV, but so few of those expressions ever really tell the real story of Christmas. And yes, it's cute, and yes, it's goofy, and yes, it is a children's version, but it is still the real story of Christmas. And that makes the pageant an act of worship and an act of of evangelism. And you know what? To me, the Christmas pageant is one of the brightest moments of the Advent season because the heart of the pageant and the heart of the gospel message itself is the promise of the coming of a Savior, the Messiah. 
the Holy One who will restore our lives and restore our world for the glory of the Lord. Now this year in December 2020, we also need Christmas and we need the Christmas pageant to remind us that the brightest promises of Messiah come in the darkest moments of history. And right now, we need Christmas, and honestly, we need the Christmas pageant more than ever. We need Christmas more than ever emotionally and psychologically. We need Christmas economically. We need Christmas for the sense of community that it brings, and we need Christmas spiritually. And whether the crisis is global, like a war or a pandemic, or much more personal, like a tragedy or a death of those we love, in good years or bad years, we still need Christmas. Because the essential good news message of Christmas is a message that speaks to us in our highest highs and in our lowest lows. Because the essential promise of Christmas is that God is Emmanuel. That God is with us, that God was with us, and that God will be with us again. The Bible tells us that the promises of Messiah did not come in peaceful, easy times. They came in times of deep distress and trouble. Think about it. The first promise of the Messiah came in humanity's first and darkest moment, at the moment of humanity's greatest calamity, when Adam and Eve sinned in disobedience and were expelled from the Garden of Eden. But it came when the Lord told the serpent that a child would be born who shall crush your head and you shall bruise his heel. That was the first promise of Christmas. The most familiar promises of the Messiah came from the prophets when the people of Israel had lost their way and were overrun by the Assyrians and taken into exile in Babylon. There the prophet said, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And then the promise of Messiah came again while the people of God were under the heel of Roman occupation. The messenger of God, the angel Gabriel, came to Mary and said, do not be afraid, Mary. For you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over all of the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. The brightest moments of Messiah, brightest promises of Messiah have come in the darkest moments of history. And that applies now too. Because as we all know, 2020 is a year of disruption. This is a year of busted plans. You know, if we learned anything from Thanksgiving, my family that is, if my family learned anything from Thanksgiving, it is that our plans may change at the last minute. Our plan certainly changed when we found out that our daughter Elle would not be able to come home for Thanksgiving because of COVID restrictions on her campus. Instead of being together for the first time in months, we had to put together some hasty Zoom calls. We had to change our plans, and so we did. 
But we still had to find a way to make Thanksgiving work in this, year, in this crazy year of 2020. And whatever plans we have imagined for Christmas, I'm guessing that we may have to alter those too. Every organization, every ministry, every business and educational institution, every family I know has had to deal with some busted plans this year. And so when it came time to discuss the Christmas pageant for this year, you know, back in August when it was 105 degrees in the shade and everybody's thinking about Christmas, our children's ministry had to change their plans. But you know what? They were ready to do that because they'd already reinvented Vacation Bible School from, a, from an in-person to a video format. They, are, they had already rewritten the book on Sunday school. They'd already rethought PJs and pancakes. They'd already rethought confirmation and youth ministry. And yet still, when they came to me with this idea of a drive-through Christmas pageant, I almost had a heart attack. I mean, I'm a long-time Presbyterian. We can't just change like that. We can't change the Christmas pageant. It's time-tested. It's tradition-approved. We can't change. But then someone reminded me that the last seven words of a dying church are, but we've always done it that way. <laughs> and so here we are. And it's a good thing because the Christmas story is a story about busted plans. And this year, we need the pageant to remind us that our God is a God who delivers through disruption. Disruption is part of God's plan. The Christmas story is a story of God's deliverance through disruption. You know what? Mary and Joseph and their families had plans. Mary and Joseph were supposed to get married, live in Nazareth, and have children in that order. They were supposed to be a normal family. But the Lord had other plans. Before she was married, the angel of the Lord came to Mary and told her, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And then a foreign dictator for whatever egoistic, unfathomable reason, not, not caring one bit about Mary and Joseph's circumstances, in spite of the fact that Mary was about to give birth, decreed that all subjects of the Roman Empire had to travel to their ancestral tribal hometown to be registered. And so they all had to travel to Bethlehem. And let me ask you this, have any of your plans been disrupted by questionable orders from distant government powers this year? Business plans, travel plans, family plans, wedding plans. Even when they got to Bethlehem, their simplest travel plans fell apart. They probably expected to be able to stay in the inn, but they couldn't even count on that because everybody was traveling. Nobody was at home, and there was no room for them in the inn. You know, in the span of just a few months, the lives of Mary and Joseph had gone from peaceful predictability to messy disruption. But you see, in spite of their plans, in spite of the plans they had made for themselves, that their families had made, that their community had made, the Lord had plans of his own. And the Gospel of Matthew, in the Gospel of Matthew, the apostle makes 
a statement that is incredible to our ears. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. You understand what Matthew is saying. You understand what he's claiming here, that this wasn't Joseph's plan. This wasn't Mary's plan. It wasn't even Caesar's plan. This was God's plan. It was not something that they fell into and they just had to work out. This was God's plan. Mary was a virgin. She wasn't supposed to have a baby. But 800 years before, God told the prophet Isaiah, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God's, God with us, as Matthew quotes it. Joseph and Mary were supposed to be in Nazareth. That's where they lived. But God told the prophet Micah, again, 700 years before, but you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be the ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old. Apparently God planned for them to be in Bethlehem. And that's why Caesar Augustus decreed and, Jews, and Joseph went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. Everything that we consider disruptive in the Christmas story was planned by God, not only centuries, but eons before it happened. And that's why the Christmas story is a story about how God delivers through disruption. The fact is that God sometimes disrupts our plans to break the idolatrous illusion that we are in control. And he does it so that we will turn to him in trust. You know, sometimes disruption is serendipitous. It just works out well. Somebody wins the lottery. That's awesome. That's great. Somebody gets a job they weren't expecting. Somebody gets a, uh, some, uh, get some kind of bonus or boon. That's wonderful. But other times, disruption is hard. Sometimes it's tragic. It's painful. And we see that all of the time in the Bible. And when we see that in the Bible, we begin to understand that God's disruption is a gut check. Because it's easy to trust God when the sun is shining brightly and everything's going our way. But what about when it's dark? What about when it's confusing? What about when your world is falling apart? The disruption to Mary and Joseph's plan was not just inconvenient. It was real. It was tragic. It could have been dangerous. I mean, not only Mary's reputation, but her life would be on the line if people believed her guilty of adultery. And it's not an easy trip, especially in those days from Nazareth to Bethlehem. For a pregnant woman, it could have been fatal. And so here's the question. Do we trust God in the disruption? I want you to look back in your bulletin. Back at those words of the catechism question that we asked this morning. Do you remember those words about God's providence? Look at them again. God's providence is the almighty and ever-present power of God by which he upholds heaven and earth together with all creatures by his own hand. 
He rules in such a way that leaves and grass, rain and drought, fruitful and unfruitful years, food and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty, and everything else come to us not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. Do we really believe that? That everything and, quote unquote, everything else comes to us not by chance, but by God's fatherly hand? You know, as a church, we often say that my only comfort in life and in death is that I belong, body and soul, not to myself, but to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who protects me so well that without the will of my Father in heaven, not a hair can fall from my head unless it fits his purpose for my salvation. Do we believe that? Do we really believe that? That was the question that Mary and Joseph had to answer. That's the question they had to live with. And behind the costumes and behind the cute faces, if we listen to the words, that is ultimately the question that the Christmas pageant asks us. Do we trust God? even in the disruption? Do we have faith to be obedient? Do we have the obedience to be flexible when our plans slip from our fingers? Do we trust God enough to change our plans because his plans are not our plans? Do we love others enough to accommodate their needs, their time, their fears, their brokenness, their grief. Do we trust God? Or are we going to tell God and everybody else, no, 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 it's my way or no way? I mean, we don't like it, to be sure, because we like and we trust our plans over much. But if you ever want to hear God laugh, tell him your plans for your life. Think about all the plans that we've made and then had to change because we thought we understood COVID. Our plans are not his plans. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. Our God does not fear disruption. Our God is a God who delivers through disruption. So how has God taken what we see and what the world sees as disruption and revealed it as his design for deliverance? Well, Satan thought that he had won in the garden. But one day, God said, the offspring of the woman will save you from your enemy. Satan thought that he had won when the Babylonian armies of Nebuchadnezzar burned the temple down and dragged the people into exile. But God said, comfort, comfort my people. You are going home. Satan thought that he had won when Israel was crushed under the boot of Roman occupation. But God said, I will send my son born of a virgin and of his kingdom there will be no end. Satan thought that he had won on Golgotha 
and that Jesus was dead and done with. But then on Easter morning, God raised Jesus from the grave and Christ said, I am alive. Even in disruption, God takes what is broken, confused, unexpected, and orders it for his glory. And he orders it for his mercy. Do we love Christ? Do we love one another? Do we love our city and our neighbors enough to give up our control and trust God's providence? In a year that no one knows what to expect, what is the Lord expecting from us? What gives him honor? What gives him glory? As Paul says in 2 Corinthians 13, examine yourselves. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Examine yourself. Do we believe that our God is sovereign? Or do we qualify that and prefer our own way? You think that God has lost control even for a millisecond? You think for a second that God has lost his mojo? I mean, it may seem impossible in the face of a national crisis. It may seem impossible to believe in the face of personal tragedy. It may seem impossible to believe because your candidate won or lost the election that something has changed the plans of the Lord of the universe. But do you think that one thing that happens on this ball of dirt changes the plans of the master of the universe for one second? Do you think that anything that has happened in the last 10 months has taken God by surprise? God's providence is a function of his sovereignty. The fact that he is all-powerful, that he is in control, but it's also a function of his grace, that we are in the grip of his unstoppable power, that we are in the hands of his undeserved mercy, and we are in the arms of his unfailing love. Especially in times like this, we need to pray the prayer of the scared and broken father in Mark's gospel. Lord, I believe, but help thou my unbelief. Remember the wisdom of the old African proverb. Do not ask, why is God doing this to me? Ask, what is God trying to teach me through this? How is God testing and shaping you through this disruption of your plans? What is he putting into you and what is he purging out of you? We need the pageant to remind us that our God is a God who delivers through disruption and to remind us that even though our plans go awry, God's plan is eternal, that he is in control even 
when we are not. Let us pray. Oh Lord, it is so easy to get frustrated, angry, despondent, to be broken, to be anxious when our plans go awry. We see these disruptions and we think either that someone else has done something wrong or that we've done something wrong or that you've lost control, but Lord, help us to understand that you that you deliver through disruption. You use these times to awaken us to the idea, to the fact, to the truth that your ways are higher than our ways. Mary and Joseph never would have planned their lives the way you planned them, and yet you planned them for your grace and mercy to be displayed throughout all the world. Lord, help us to remember that you have not lost control by one single degree and that you are calling us to do all things in the midst of this disruption for your glory and for your mercy. Lord, help us to examine ourselves and to pray that we would have faith, that we would have belief even when it's hard to believe. We pray these things in the name of your Son, our precious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.